0: Good morning, South Shore. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, it's nice and crisp out, which reminds me of which reminds me of fall, and I suppose we're in that now. Um, you know, if you're like me, singing that song has always been, um, at times, a beautiful blessing. When we sing, um, "You are good," it can be it can be a beautiful thing. But at times it can also be something that 's really challenging when we look around at our surroundings and we sing "You are good," it can be very difficult um, to sing that God is good when we are going through trial and I know that right now is a difficult time for a lot of people so um, so if that was you this morning, I want to speak to that as I think that has been that has been me in seasons. You know, there are seasons where um, it's been really difficult for me to align my attitude toward what God is doing in his kingdom. There have been seasons where it's been difficult for me to figure out what what it means for God to uh, to be in control of time and in control of my circumstances. And the last couple of weeks we've been talking about hoping for what's next. We've been talking about having a vision for, for what is coming um, despite the season we're in. And we've been talking um, also about what Jesus did in the ordinary moments when he saw the miraculous in the everyday. Today I want to talk a little bit about what God sees when he looks at all of time. What God sees when he looks at at our whole lives and how he he views this whole spectrum of of what our experiences are beyond just the the right here and right now. you know, if you're like me, there have been times in your life when you've struggled to keep things in control, when you've struggled with, um, with wanting to have things done on your timeline. And there have been times when I've reached out to God and I've asked him, Lord, will you bring me healing today? Or Lord, will you bring me um, breakthrough in this thing? And instead of giving me the, the breakthrough I've needed, he has said, I have something else for you in this moment but in my time, in, in an acceptable time, as the, as the prophets say, uh, I will bring that healing for you. That, that's coming down the pike. Um, this is so challenging for some of us who are more control oriented. It's so challenging for those of us who have to give up that control. Um, so if you're one of those people, this message is also for you today. If you're like me, also you experience time in a kind of line. We have a word for that, we call it a timeline. Uh, Time for all of us is is mostly made up of uh, where we are now, these split-second moments that we call now, and all the memories that make up our past, these things that that start from the moment we're born and continue on. And then there's the future, and this is a a kind of unknown quantity, which can be scary for some of us, if you're like me. and then we, we have to figure out, how does God fit into that? So there's this really interesting passage in C.S. Lewis, um, Mere, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, where he describes what time is like for God. And he says to draw a line on a piece of paper. So I'm going to do that. If you have a piece of paper, you can join me. We're going to draw a line. John's going to zoom in. <laughs> Hopefully you can see that. I've drawn a line on a piece of paper. And in, there's a dot in the very beginning on the left side. And that's where my life began in 1985. And then I put a mark in the middle uh, for, for where we are right now with me giving this sermon to you. And then um, as it moved forward, there's this unknown quantity. So I just put an arrow. And that's that's what time is. Uh, for me, that's a line. That's two dimensions. That's something that's on this sheet of paper. It has a beginning and an end, uh, and and outside of that is the unknown. And what C.S. Lewis says is that if we're to think about God's uh, relationship to that line, that God somehow, um, if he is the God we think he is and he says he is, he has to be the paper upon which the line is drawn. He's there before the line was, and he'll be there after the line is gone. He's the framework around which that line is. So God's time and God's relationship to time is all about the largeness of which it is. It is is that he is beyond time. He is somehow bigger than it. He is somehow um, broader than it. And um, there are a couple stories for those of us who, who have a hard time seeing that and how we relate to it, there's a couple stories in the Bible where he reminds us of, of what that relationship is. And today I want to look at one of those stories in the book of Micah. Um, if, you'll, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Micah, and I'm going to read a couple, of, a couple of passages. Before we do that, I just want to pray for all of us as we receive the word. Lord, uh, you, are, you are so faithful to bring your word to this church. God, thank you for all of the ways that you've brought truth to us, all of the ways you've brought wisdom to us. And as we we sit today with all of the circumstances that we are in, whether we are in a season of joy or a season of suffering, a season where we feel oppression or a season where we're feeling plenty, no matter where we are, God, today, we give our hearts to you. We submit in humility to you. And we we just open up to whatever you have for us today. God, today as I speak, I ask, Lord, that it would not be my words, but it would be yours. Um, I ask that, that we would hear what the prophet Micah has to say to us in our time. And that we would know how to move forward. Um, and that you would give us practical messages to live in this moment. Alright, so if you turn with me to Micah, we're going to start in... Chapter six. If you haven't read Micah, it's, it's roughly three quarters of the way through through a Bible, which you can kind of see right here. Um, Micah is one of the prophets in the Bible. He's one of these characters that God brings throughout history in the uh, with his journey through the through time with the Israelites, uh, and it, it's a character that's kind of like a microphone for God's message to come to His people. And over time, um, the Israelites keep straying. And they keep uh, they keep finding more and more corruption in their kingdom. Micah comes along the scene when the, there is a kingdom of the north and a kingdom of the south where they 're fighting over what to do um, and how to live in terms of how they worship god they 're fighting over a lot of things they 're fighting over kings and over over wealth and over um, over territory. So you have the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south and they 're on their way toward exile, which you can read because god um, God allows them to become exiled to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And Micah comes on the scene to warn them about a corruption that's happening in their government, a corruption that's happening in the prophets that they have amongst them, and then a corruption that's happening in their worship as they begin to worship the idols of the people around them. And he delivers this message, warning them of this behavior and telling them there is a, there's a penalty or a judgment that has to come upon them um, that God will leverage upon them. And, and so the people complain, and, they, and Micah tells God of their complaints. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam son of Baor answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. That was a lot of Bible words. Um, some weird names. If you aren't familiar with them, they're, they're actually talking here about one of the grand um, epic stories of the Bible in the beginning at the formation of the tribe of the Israelites, which is the journey in Exodus when God takes his people after they cry out in slavery and oppression in Egypt, and he, he delivers them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and he promises them a land of, his own, of their own and takes them through the desert in this long journey and what he's, he's writing about here is all of the times during that journey that he delivered them into victory from their oppressors um, because they're wandering as a sort of uh, desert tribe and they're encountering these settled territories and these settled, settled kings and kingdoms. And God brings them into victory each time, reminding them that he is, he is the one who is leading them. So why does, Micah, why does Micah write about this? Well, well, God is delivering a reminder to the Israelites, that as they complain about their current circumstances, which in some ways we might find parallels to our current circumstances. He's saying, he's saying that in the past, I have always delivered you from the things that oppress you. I have always delivered you from difficulty and I've always delivered you from trial. And he's, he's inviting them to do something, which is to look back and to remember the ways that he's delivered them. He's, he's reminding them, to look back and see his goodness. There's a huge application for us in this. And I think, I think um, there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of writing on this. And I think that one of the powers of looking back and taking stock of where God has given us victory and brought us his goodness is that it invites a kind of attitude and a shifting of our attention from our present circumstances, our pain and our suffering away from all of that, and into a vision of hope. And this is, I think, what Micah is, is inviting in this moment. He's saying, Tur- let's, turn away, uh, let's turn away from all of the things that we're currently worried about, and we'll turn toward our past and take stock of all the things that God has done for us. Our ability to connect with God in trial seems to be linked to rehearsing with God all the ways he's been good to us in the past. I think right here he's also giving the tools um, the tools to his people to take a step forward into victory with him. And this is a really important part of what, how God relates to the past. God is the God of all time, and so he's the God of our past. For me, my past victories are something that, that lay in the past. They're something that, um, that I no longer have control over. I no longer have control over my memories. But God, through his power, was God during those memories. He walked with me through each of them. And he wants to remind me sometimes to take a step back from where I'm at and to take stock and to prayerfully thank him and have gratitude for all of the ways that he's been good to me. If God is the God of the past, then he's also the God of the future. And this is another key component of what Micah is saying. Let's turn forward to chapter seven. We'll start with verse seven. Verse seven. What we're gonna see here and what I want us to pay attention to is a shift in the attitude from one of, of grumbling and of God, um, of God answering with a kind of reminder to be, to be, gra- to be filled with gratitude and to be gracious, um, and there's a shift in the attitude toward a different kind of thinking. It says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior, my God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. This is a shift to um, to an attitude of hope that looks not at uh, the current moment and the current oppression and the current difficulty, but instead says, I will again rise. And then in verse 18, he says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham, as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. There's a really key set of words in there um, that I want us to, to read again. It's verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You know, in the judgment of this, if you read, and I encourage you this week to take the book of Micah and to read the full story, but in the judgment of this, God is um, allowing them to fall into exile, but there is this promise, and he says that in the future, their sins will be tread underfoot. He delights to show mercy, and that in the future, there will be a rising up of of the Jewish people again. This is Micah's promise through God to his people during that time and during the exile. And indeed, God does bring them back. He brings a remnant back to Israel. Because part of this story is that not only is this about that exile, but it's also about the Messianic story, the larger story of the Bible, where God uses this little tribe that he has this affection for and a covenant with or a pact with, and he uses that tribe to redeem and save all of humanity, and that includes us. So if God was the God of the future for these people, he's also the God of our future. You know, earlier I drew that line and I had a little arrow saying, I don't know what that's going to look like, but, um, but God does. And so when God promises me that he's going to walk me into victory, the really, really interesting thing is here is that God has already seen that victory because he's already living it. If God is outside of that time, he can bend that time to his will. He can say that that the future victory is already won, because it is already won. So if you're contending for something today, I want you to to pray about that. Take some time this week to really pray about some of the things that are on your heart. And as uh, as we pray together as a community for things that we're contending for together... Let's have a mindset of knowing that God has already seen the victory for our our people. He's seen the victory for our community, and he's seen the victory for us in our daily walks. We've seen this this shift from the past of kind of a groaning and a stiffness of of character that Micah shows in chapter 6 at the beginning, and then we see that shift, as I just read in in chapter 7, to a place of hope, and the question is for us, what, what, what takes us there? So let's go back to chapter 6 and read verse 8. There's this little verse in here where Micah describes how God wants us to live. And he says, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's read that one more time. I really want that to sink in. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Nowhere in there is there a description of a kind of sacrifice, nowhere in there is a description of a kind of religious rite or a particular type of fasting or uh, something that needs to be given up or a banner that needs to be raised or a a magic prayer or a set of words that need to be said. There's no formula here except for to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is a God that is not asking for An enormous sacrifice earlier it talks about some other sacrifices that that the people are asking do you want us to give this or this or this and God just simply says I want you to live like this what this verse is talking about is the character of God it's reflecting the character of God because we're created in his image and we when we reflect the character of God it changes the atmosphere around us and it changes us when we act justly, justly, when we love mercy, and when we walk humbly with God, we're inviting the kingdom of heaven to come and to change our hopelessness into hope. To change the moments where we are saying, God, I don't know how you're going to get me through this. I don't know how you're going to pay this bill. I don't know how you're going to pay the rent this week. I don't know, Lord, how you're going to find me a new job or how I'm going to find healing in this moment. He's going to take us from there, and when we, when we act in this way and when we live out of this character, it takes us from that place into saying, God, I know all of the other times that I haven't been able to pay rent, you have paid for it. I know all the other times that I ha- I've not had enough, but you've had enough for me. And I know all the times that you've shown me your goodness throughout our walk together. So it's this invitation to reflect the character of God and his goodness to sing you are good prophetically and to sing of his faithfulness into our lives and into the lives of our community to say that God has always been good and God will will always be good. Think of it kind of like shining a light in a dark place. There's something about growing into the character of God and his goodness that invites heaven into our world. It's a little bit of light it's a lamp unto our feet. There are a lot of ways that, the, that psalmists describe this. Um, when, when God comes into our world, he changes the, the world we're walking in, and he brings light into a dark place. Bill Johnson talks a little bit about this. He says, in reality, he has already won. Our job is to align our hearts with the reality of the victory of the cross so that we can see his purposes and redemption at work around us then we can recognize how to partner with heaven in our circumstances. People who have this perspective stand out because they get happy when they encounter a problem. They know it is their assignment, privilege, and joy to see impossibilities and problems bend their knees to the name of Jesus. When God is outside of time, and when God's time is a kind of infinite framework upon which we live, when we take the character of what God has done in the past and we claim that God's character never changes. What we're doing is that we're saying our present and our future are also going to bend their knees to what God has said. When God promises something, he's already seen its fulfillment. And in fact, what it kind of does, and if you drew this, you drew the line today, I want you to fold it. We're going to say if you're in a place that you're calling now along this line, That is a place of darkness and hopelessness. What this does, in effect, is it folds the past into the present. And it says that the goodness and the character of God, that is always good and always faithful, is folded over into the now, in which we might ask, God, where are you? And what He says is, I'm right here. I'm always here. I'm constant. We have a little bit more time. Um, and I want us to, to reflect today. We have one more song coming up in a little bit, but before we get there, I want us to reflect. Um, I feel strongly like, you know, sometimes activities may seem a little bit simple or childish, but, but today, um, I want us to, to take a piece of paper, and if you didn't do this before, draw a line, and draw where you are, and along that line draw a moment that is now, and I want you to try and describe what now feels like. No matter where you are, it's okay to, draw, to write or to draw whatever it is that you're feeling like right now. You, know, you may be describing depression, you may be describing anxiety, fear about what's coming next. You may, be, you may be describing difficulty or oppression or cynicism and bitterness. Whatever it is, it may be something really good too. I want you to write that, and I want you to to look at it and to take some time to give thanks for the ways that God has been good to you in the past. Maybe write some of those out. If you can, write, write some of those ways that God has been really good to you and has shown you that he is victorious in the past, and then I want you to fold it over so that you're reminded that God is always good, that all along that line, God has been good and will be good. And claim the victory today in knowing that God is outside of our time. God has seen what will come and he knows and he's in control. And then give that up to him. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up. And I want to pray for us as we have a few more minutes. If you need... If you need something in prayer today, if you're describing something difficult in that now that I said we should just write out, write that in the comments on Facebook. Um, There are people who want to pray for you. But I want us to to really reflect deeply right now on what it means to live with God in our now and in victory, what it means to, to be changed by God and his hope and be changed by a kingdom attitude of victory Um, And we want to pray for you if you are going through difficulty in that. As we sing this last song, let it just just wash over you. Let the Spirit speak to you and minister to you today. Let your hearts be open to how he wants to sing of his faithfulness to you. Uh, We're praying for you and for your change today and for your victory over your present circumstances.